Welcome back to another Meretricious episode of Rock and Roll History, the podcast where we stage dive headfirst in all the hits, misses, and often overlooked songs and stories throughout the history of rock and roll. I'm your host, Ryan Seacrest. But who cares? Come on, everybody. Let's go rock and roll! Today's episode will be slightly different than our regularly scheduled programming. Today's tale is centered around more contemporary history as compared to our usual fare. Yes, today's show is a different flavor, if you will. Maybe even Tony Satchery's flavored. Because today, we will be honoring the life and times of another royal rocker. A king in his own right. A king from Louisiana. A king whose passing left many of his rock and roll subjects worldwide stunned and shattered. This nobleman I'm referring to is known by many as the one and only King Louis Bankston. And with February 13th rapidly approaching, I wanted to pay my respects since the 13th will mark one year since he ascended into rock and roll heaven. And now I'm aware that many of you might not be familiar with who King Louis is and why he's Cajun flavored, but that's precisely why I decided to do this episode today. If you love or care about or even enjoy rock and roll, then you should certainly know about this dude. Today we will be honoring the legacy of a real life rock and roll legend, one that walked among us, performed for us, drank next to us at the bar. He was a huge figure in the contemporary rock and roll community and a prolific songwriting genius whose influence, in my opinion, is unmatched by just about anyone involved in rock and roll for the last 30 years. So today, I will try my best to honor the man. I will attempt to lay out somewhat of a biography as best as I can from the few bits and pieces that I've scrounged up from around the internet. And while I did kind of know the guy and I have many mutual friends in common, I didn't want to pry anyone for information because I didn't feel that it would be right. Plus, maybe I can revisit this sometime in the future when wounds aren't so fresh for everyone. Anyway, here we go. On with the show. Our story today starts off at the end of the year 1972. Richard Nixon was president and the Vietnam War was still going on. Watergate and a slew of airline hijackings were filling all the major headlines as the two-dimensional table tennis simulation Pong was created, kicking off the beginning of the video game era. The Munich Olympic Massacre had just shocked the world, and of course, good old Elvis Presley was in the process of getting divorced from his wife Priscilla as his movie, Elvis on Tour, was hitting theaters. But enough about that goofy guy, let's switch the subject back to a real king, straight to business now. There's not really one specific event that we're focusing on today since this is more of a memorial of sorts, so let's hop right on into the old time machine like we always do and set the date this time to December 18th, 1972 and find out who this royal King Louis Bankston really is. Lewis Paul Bankston was born Monday, December 18, 1972 to Paul and Elaine Bankston in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. His father, Paul, was a Vietnam veteran who found a job working for Petroleum Helicopters Incorporated as a crew chief before becoming a licensed helicopter pilot himself. He's remembered as being extremely handy, knowledgeable, and serious about his work as he was remembered for his great attention to detail when doing his repairs. 
Other pilots have said that if they took their aircraft to Paul, they would be safe in knowing that they wouldn't have to worry about a thing on their aircraft failing, since he always did such a thorough job every single time. The family resided in Harahan, Louisiana, a suburb just outside of New Orleans, and they seem to have a pretty happy and normal life from what I can tell. Louis fondly remembers the family even taking a trip to Catalina Island during his youth. Pretty typical stuff. Together, they had a family business, a hardware store called Louis River Ridge Ace Hardware. It was a beloved local shop where friends and neighbors would go to get anything that they needed or just to chat with Mr. Paul and Miss Elaine. In his youth, Louis would always spend most of his time playing outside with the other kids in the neighborhood, and in doing so got turned on to skateboarding. Of course, as kids do, they would skate around town and find themselves getting into all sorts of mischief or fun, oftentimes being chased out of various parking lots and industrial complexes by the police while narrowly escaping on their skateboards. His friends remember Louis as being one of the best skaters in town back then. He was best known for his signature freestyle abilities, doing flatland tricks, handstands, the 360 spins, and all the like. They all assumed that if any one of them would, it would one day be Louis who'd be featured in an issue of Thrasher magazine. On June 7th, 1985, young Louis somehow managed to convince his father to add a skate shop into the back of the hardware store. Remember, this was at a time when skateboarding was not popular at all, so the idea was actually kind of crazy. But Louis managed to make it popular in the area, and because of this, the shop became the epicenter of the local skate scene. Louis would work in the shop all day long, fixing up boards for the locals, and he would have the privilege of skateboarding with famous pros like Rodney Mullen and Tony Hawk as they rolled through town on promotional tours. As the typical progression goes with skateboarding, naturally Louis' next interest would of course be music. His friends would share various records amongst each other, and one in particular that was in heavy rotation was called The Wild Riders of Boards, an 80s hardcore skate punk compilation from Vice Records. And this, among the other records they were passing around at the time, would turn Louis on to punk rock, both the music and the lifestyle. This new fascination with music would lead Louis to start his very own band, The Intelligenitals which tells you pretty much all you really need to know about that. And he began attending local concerts. A friend named Joe Pestilence, who now goes by the name Joe Veracos, remembers first meeting Louis at 16 years old outside of one of these concerts. Joe says Louis was wearing a leather jacket with a dog collar around his neck, and it was slinging copies of his own handmade zine called Maximum Raunch and Roll, a play on the name Maximum Rock and Roll, which is a popular independent music magazine. This meeting would result in a journey of two lifelong friends. Joe remembers this first meeting being at a show for the band X Hoarder outside the, the Storyville Jazz Hall in New Orleans. After some quick research, it looks like the date was June 30th, 1989. There's video from that actual show posted on YouTube, and I kid you not, here is a real-life audio clip from that exact performance on that fateful evening. <sighs> Just warms my soul knowing a young Louis Bankson was in there somewhere hanging out listening with his dog collar rattling around to the tunes, rocking out with his new pal Joe. It's from a channel called Paranoise, which is fitting. Uh, I'll have a link to the full show available on our site for the morbidly curious. So after this show, it wouldn't be long until Louie and Joe would start playing in a band together. This band was called The Clickums, a name that Joe says still evokes a certain amount of disgust to this very day. This is when Joe christens Louie with the nickname King Louie the 69th. 
a name which Joe said he thought suited Louie because it fit his larger-than-life persona. The Clickums, being the gritty punk band that they were, managed to get banned by every venue in town after only a few shows, and as a result, the band quickly dissolved. This didn't stop Louie, though, and it wouldn't be long until he was moving on to playing in other musical projects. Some of his other bands during this time were all very brief and had names like Dirt Boys, Funny Boys, The McGillicuddies, The Harahan Crack Combo, Jerry and the Bastard Makers, Colostomy Bags, and Christie's Padded Toilet Seat. The last two sometimes being combined as Christie's Padded Colostomy Bag. This is when Louie would start writing his own songs. Songs with titles like Lick My Tattoo and I Went to the Jazz Fest But I Didn't See Stevie Ray Vaughan. I'm sure these bands all played some fine music. To get an idea of what these bands may have sounded like, here's a clip of Louis' very first record ever released. It was put out by the independent and now world-renowned rock and roll label based out of Memphis, Tennessee, Goner Records. This record was put out under the name King Louis the 69th and the Harahead Crack Combo in 1993. It's a single called Jailbait, which I'm sure would go over well today. This sound is pure, primitive, and raw. True rock and roll to the core. I think raunch and roll is actually quite accurate description of what Louis was doing at this time. And you can already hear the type of character Louis was. A little rough around the edges, but in the best way possible, with a heart of gold. And it's apparent, even by his voice, that at this point, very early on, he was already the real deal. A rock and roll lifer, right off the bat. This first record would set the tone for the rest of Louis' music career. It was around this same time Louis would next pick up some sticks and join local heroes, the Royal Pendletons, on drums. It was a band featuring underground legends in their own right, Michael Hurt, Tom Oliver, and Matt Ullman. The Royal Pendletons were a 60s-inspired surfy garage rock revivalist act before that was the hip, trendy thing to do. They would wear matching plaid Pendleton suits and were complete with a Hammond organ keyboard and covered songs like Double Shot by the Swingin' Medallions and Hanging on a String by Question Mark and the Mysterians. Some of the band members were a couple years older than Louis, but Louis's youthful fire brought a fresh energy to the act and they quickly began to gain a cult following. People would come from all around to watch the RPs rock out all night. It is said that they had over a hundred songs under their belt and they would frequently play from open to close in various bars and venues in New Orleans and around the southern United States. Here's a clip from one of those shows at the Star Bar in Atlanta, Georgia in 1997. This clip features one of the few instances of the band featuring King Louie on lead vocals and maracas filmed by Jay Jaworski. Well, 
The video is featured on the King Vidiot channel on YouTube. I'll post the link on the site. It's pretty rad and a nice little time capsule of what it was like to attend a rock and roll show back at that point in time. So shortly after this, one night at a wild house party, the band, along with Louie's old pal Joe as witness, before uh, he eventually moved away to Portland, Oregon, befriended a man by the name of Alex Chilton. Yes, I said Alex Chilton. The Alex Chilton of box tops and big star fame. Apparently, Chilton was a fan of the RP's music, and so after chatting and partying, they all decided to head into the studio and record an album with Chilton at the helm to run the sessions and produce the record. What resulted was an instant classic record called Oh Yeah Baby, an intimate session with America's favorite band. And it actually is one of my personal favorite records. It has unlimited replay value and it's to me cements the Royal Pendletons into rock and roll history. Not one to grow stale though sitting around in just one project, Louie continued to start up and play on many other bands throughout the years. The next one of note after the Pendletons was a band called the Persuaders. This band was all raunch and definitely more cruddy punk oriented than the RP's cleaner cut vibe. The Persuaders featured double Flying V guitars which was featured on their album cover and from that point on the Flying V would become somewhat of a signature guitar for Louie. The Persuaders on occasion would have rotating members play with them, and one of these players was a younger kid from Memphis, Tennessee named Jimmy Lee Lindsay. Jimmy, or Jay as his friends called him, had already put some music out with Goner Records as well, and had his own band called The Retards, which was aptly misspelled as R-E-A-T-A-R-D-S. And if you haven't already put it together yet, young Jimmy was in fact a young Jay Retard. Jay would be hugely influenced by Louis and the Persuaders and even covered their Louis Penn classic Heart of Chrome, which I highly recommend you seek out. You can hear this influence very clearly in Jay's early music, and this also explains the double flying V's Jay and his bands would always be rocking with. Playing with Jay led to Louis's next and one of his most notorious projects. Although it was brief, it was epic. It was a one-off all-star band that featured King Louie, Jay Retard, and their friend Eric Oblivion from the seminal Memphis garage rock band The Oblivions, who also conveniently was co-owner of Goner Records. This band was called Bad Times, and they only had one practice and put out one album and played only one show, and I was told by Goner MC and recording guru Eric Big Arm Hurst that it was one of the greatest rock and roll shows of all time, second only to that one show with Timmy Organism where he was swinging around that dead octopus. But I digress. This show was stuff of legend, and there is some video of it available on YouTube. Although the quality isn't great, it's just a real-life historic moment in time that was captured on tape. That band would dissolve and Jay would go on to have a very successful solo career, signed to Matador Records and become an indie music darling hailed by critics such as NME and Pitchfork. Before his untimely death years later in 2010, sadly at the young age of 29 as a result of hardcore rock and roll lifestyle. So since Louis was not one to stagnate, around this same time as Bad Times, he also started up the King Louis One Man Band. With a one-man band, Louis would sit with a bass drum on one foot rigged with a snare drum on the other, and he would sing and play guitar, harmonica, and cowbell. Lots and lots of cowbell. All at the same time. 
The one-man band would play in bars, street corners, public access TV shows, pretty much anywhere he could. He put out a few records as the one-man band, most notably a full-length album called Chinese Crawfish, which gave us classic hits such as I'm 13 and Too Ugly to Live, Beat Up by a Girl, and I'm So Sick of Your Headgear. It's impossible not to smile while listening to this record. The one-man band captures Louis at his Louiest, if you know what I mean, and it catches you off guard at times because it showcases that he really actually had quite a surprising wide range. The album has everything from down-dirty swamp rockers, comical yet catchy power poppers complete with Chuck Berry tier lyrics, and even some deep bluesy introspective guitar picking stuff that shows Louis's tender and more vulnerable side. There's a video on YouTube filmed by Eric Oblivion of King Louis doing the one-man band at Dixie Tavern in the Metairie area of New Orleans. This video was filmed around 2002 and gives an amazing look at this point in Louis' musical odyssey. Here's a quick montage of the performance that will show you this range that I'm talking about. just one man. 
It really is an amazing video that I can honestly say still blows my mind when I watch it, just like it did the first time I saw it over 15 years ago. I would definitely put that in the Louis exhibit in the Rock and Roll History Museum if there ever was one. It's not totally clear to me what was going on in Louis' personal life now at this point in his life, but it seems to me that he got married and then divorced, so I'm guessing he must have needed a change of scenery. He also had an itchin to play some country music, and so it seemed he decided to move out of the New Orleans area and head to the Pacific Northwest to settle into Portland, Oregon, which makes zero sense to me as a place to go play country music, but, well, let's just let Louis explain it in his own words. I moved to Portland to do country music, where, which was after my divorce. It was like, you know, I want to do country music. What do you do? You go to Nashville. No. I had my friend Joe Pestilence, my best friend, been playing with him for years. I'm going to go to Portland and do country music. Okay. Well, it seems like I got that right, I guess. That was from the fantastic interview from, conducted from WMSE Milwaukee. Uh, it's a radio show posted by the Norton Video YouTube channel. It's a fun, insightful interview complete with a game round where Louis rates different music genres on a scale from 1 to 10. I'll have this interview posted on the site along with other separate interview where he talks about the time he busted out of jail. They'll both be posted on the website. Don't forget to check those out. The link will be in the show notes at www.rockandrollhistory.com. So it's the early 2000s, and upon arriving in Portland, Louis started up yet another band. This time it was called 10-4 Backdoor, and it acted as the reunion with his buddy Joe. 10-4 Backdoor did have a more country twang than Louis's usual stuff, but not quite full-blown country like Louis had hoped. The band would play in bars around town at night, and by day, Louis managed to pick up work at Oaks Park, a local amusement park where he would operate the rickety rides and make friends with the locals, occasionally, accidentally, leaving some of them stuck at the top of the Ferris wheel for some laughs. One afternoon, while not working on his country carny career, Louis was hanging outside of a bar named Dino's, which has been described as the lowest of all strip clubs. He was standing outside drinking some beers when he noticed one of the locals cruising by on a skateboard. He recognized the young man from a crew of riffraff that he might have accidentally left on the top of the Ferris wheel one or two times. He kept hollering and flagged the kid down to, and waved him over. He wanted to chat about skateboarding and he wanted help drinking some beers. The kid rolled up and took a beer and introduced himself as Adam and said he actually recognized Louie right away and said he remembered his band The Persuaders, of which he was a big fan. Adam then goes on to tell Louie that he's been playing in a band called The Spider Babies but was growing tired of it since his only input was if he should make his bass sound more like a fart or like the Ramones. He then told Louie that he was planning on starting a band with some of his old high school buddies with the intent to destroy all the crap left over from the 90s. And just like that, the two became fast friends and crushed a few more beers. A couple days later while driving around town in a white Oldsmobile, Louie notices Adam skateboarding down the street once again. He pulls over alongside Adam and starts to yell at him, Hey man, want to come drive around in this car? So Adam hops in and joins Louie on one of his many adventures. Louie then turns to Adam and says, Hey man, check this out. I wrote this song for the Pendletons. They didn't want to play it, but when I showed it to Alex Chilton, Alex Chilton said, Louie, you just wrote your first hit song. 
Louis then takes his hands off the steering wheel of the car and starts playing the drums with his hands and mouthing the guitar part. And he starts singing, I'm a pretender, man. Hey, man, I'm a pretender at the game of love, man. Alarm bells immediately start going off in Adam's head. He recognizes Louis' genius and thought, so many people probably have some random crazy Louis story like this, but all of them must have been too stupid not to follow through and turn one of these random Louis ramblings into an actual song. He then tells Louis he thinks he has a hit on his hands and that he can join his band, but first he'd have to run it by the rest of the guys. So a couple days later, Louis heads over to Adam's house to have a rehearsal with this new band. Louis walks in with a corn dog and a hot pickle in one hand and a crushed ice soda, a 40 ounce of PBR, and a Pepto-Bismol bottle tucked under his other arm. Adam's roommate and guitar player of the band, Terry, was hesitant about having Louie in the band. And so he didn't beat around the bush. Before saying anything at all, he just shoved a guitar right in front of Louie and said, Okay, let's hear that song. Louie then starts to play the song and immediately it clicked for Terry as well. And the next thing to come out of Terry's mouth was, You got any more like that? And from that point on, the group would sit around and jam out and write songs together. This band would go on to be known as the Exploding Hearts, and Louis would write a good majority of most of that band's album, and they recorded it shortly after this. The music was more power pop, punky garage rock, which at the time, no one in the world was doing anything remotely close to. They were ahead of their time, and a lot of the Portland locals hated them because they didn't really understand them, and because the band would also wear flashy pink and yellow ripped up punk clothes that they had dyed in their bathtub, along with some tight denim and leather jackets. In the early 2000s, this was truly a sight to behold. Outside of Portland, however, the band quickly blew up uh, as their album was spreading around the country like wildfire, gaining praise from magazines like Shredding Paper and Maximum Rock and Roll. Pitchfork even put their record on the best albums of the decade list. And this was right when Louis Rolling Stone decided to pick up his hat and continue his journey elsewhere and headed back down south to New Orleans. The band continued on without Louis, though, and never even thought about replacing him. They would stay in contact with Louis over the phone and continue to write songs together as a band. The band would continue to have success. They played a spectacular show with the original punk legend band Buzzcocks, and then they did a tour of the West Coast with the last show of that tour being sold out at the Parkside in San Francisco, where the audience sang along with every word, and even after the venue pulled the plug on the band due to a noise curfew violation. Everything was falling into place like a dream for the boys, and they had even had a record contract waiting for them when they got back home. It was with Lookout Records who launched the careers of massively popular bands like Rancid and Green Day. On their way home on July 20th, 2003, everything, however, would come to a screeching tragic halt. The band's tour van rolled over three times just an hour and a half away from home, killing 23-year-old lead singer and guitar player Adam Cox, just barely 21-year-old drummer Jeremy Gage, and still only 20-year-old bassist Matt Fitzgerald. Lead guitar player Terry Six crawled out from the wreckage with only minor cuts and bruises as he looked at his whole life shattered and spread out over the highway, guitar amps and all, devastatingly staring down at one of the biggest what-ifs in rock and roll history. The story of the Exploding Hearts is definitely a sad one, up there with legends like the day the music died. Some say they would have done to Power Pop what the Strokes or White Stripes did for Garage Rock. This being the early 2000s, this easily could have very well happened, and it could have totally changed the course of rock and roll and music history. We could live in an entirely different world today, but alas, heartbreakingly, we'll never know.
This July will mark 20 years since that tragic day. And there's even been a documentary about the band in the work for quite some time now. Last I heard they were editing it down and having some financial issues and then COVID hit. So things kind of got derailed. But hopefully by some miracle it comes out on the 20 year mark and I think that would be good timing. The band is truly outrageously good. And if you haven't heard them, I urge you to go listen to them. Like you have to go listen to them. Trust me, do yourself a favor. Their album Guitar Romantic is an original, honest and true to its roots rock and roll masterpiece. Even my mom likes it and she doesn't like anything. I'll have a link to their music on the site along with a trailer to the documentary. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Whew. Okay, that's a tough one. But carrying on back to the many adventures of Louis the Punk, in 2003, Louis now found himself back to playing his old haunts in New Orleans, starting up various different projects like the band called Cajun SS, and he continued working as the one-man band. A couple years of this goes by, and in late August 2005, an act of God disaster would strike yet again. This time, it was a Category 5 Atlantic hurricane. Hurricane Katrina, which decimated New Orleans and the surrounding areas. The storm caused 1,329 fatalities and caused an estimated 97 to $145 billion in damage. When the storm first hit, Louis was at home with his girlfriend and dog, hunkering down trying to tough it out. But then the water came, and so he had to cut a hole in his roof of his house with a chainsaw to escape the flooding and once they were all on the roof the water just kept rising and rising so they had to swim over to a higher roof nearby where they found themselves stranded things were looking pretty grim for them on this roof until by the graces of god the girlfriend's brother came by and rescued them in a small canoe style boat but of course as luck would have it the boat was only big enough to fit a few people at a time so louis stayed behind on the roof alone with his dog and waited hopefully for the, the brother to return before the water got any higher and as if that wasn't enough this was right when a bunch of poisonous water snakes which are common to louisiana were now out of their natural habitat now just swimming around everywhere including up the drain pipes to the roof that louis and his dog were desperately stranded on so just imagine that scene louis just on this roof with his dog the, the storm's going, he's swatting away these snakes with an oar, hoping the boat returns. Christ almighty. Thankfully, the brother returned though, and they found refuge in the bayou forest where they had to camp and find shelter in the trees for four days until help arrived. Thankfully, they all made it out okay. Just another day in the life for King Louis Bankston. Absolutely crazy. Following the storm, Louis then found himself bouncing back and forth between Memphis and New Orleans while New Orleans tried to recover from the devastation. This is right around the time the annual music festival Goner Fest, ran by Goner Records, got its start. It acted as refuge for many of the people down in New Orleans and brought the two cities closer together. Anyway, this point in time is when quite possibly my favorite Louis project got started. This group was called The Loose Diamonds, featuring true blue rock and roll lifers Chad Booth, Adam Woodard, Jack Oblivion, and quite possibly my favorite name I've ever heard, Harlan T. Bobo. Legendary savage guitar master, axe shredder Julian Freed would also join in this band as well later on. The Loose Diamonds put out a record called Memphis Tree, and this record is just so good. It's out of print and I keep trying to convince people to repress it. It's hard to find, but thankfully King Louis himself posted the album with his personal account in its entirety on YouTube. I'll have the link posted on the website. Please check it out. 
The album is more country-oriented like Louie had been trying to do for a while, and the songs are all instant classics and even features a song called Gypsy Switch, which is a, like the sister song to Shattered by the Exploding Hearts. The songs are almost identical rhythmically and structurally. I mean, I'm sure Louie wrote both, but Gypsy Switch sounds more like Louie, and it's probably closer to how the song originally was intended to sound. Either way, both songs are classics, and it's a nice little tip of the hat from Louie to his prematurely departed past bandmates, so it's touching in a way. You should give them both a listen back to back to fully appreciate them. So after this, as Louie aged, he stayed in New Orleans and continued to work at his family's hardware store, building skateboards, playing records, and saying hello to everyone and anyone who decided to stop by. He would continue to play in various different bands, all which were fantastic, of course. Bands like Brick War, the Black Rose Band, and most notably the Missing Monuments, which had Louie teaming up with his old buddy, guitar master Julian Freed, and playing with other players such as Benny Devine on bass and Aaron Hill on the drums, who are well-respected musicians in their own right. The Royal Pendletons, The Persuaders, Bad Times, and The Exploding Hearts, all their albums would all get re-released and repressed, and Louis continued making and playing music because that's just the kind of guy he was, a rock and roll lifer. There's even rumors of unreleased stuff like an entire album of his avant-garde electronic solo project, Touches, and an amazing band called Condor, which features synth wizard Quintron on keys. This is the most coveted unreleased recordings that we need to hear. So if anyone is out there with the power to make that happen, just please make that happen. And finally, Louie would also get back together with his old guitar playing friend Terry Six from the Exploding Hearts. A kind of bittersweet reunion of two rock and roll legends, and the two together would release two albums of original new songs under the name Terry and Louie. As Terry and Louie, the band would play big spots in various music festivals around the country, culminating in a sold-out show at the Zebulon in Los Angeles, California in January of 2019, where they released their second of two albums with an intermission that featured the Exploding Hearts documentary trailer, and then they completed the night off with a full set of Exploding Hearts songs, sung together by Terry, Louie, and the entire audience. It was truly magical. After that, they would go on tour in Japan, with European dates to follow, literally a world tour, but unfortunately this is when time began to catch up with our old pal Louie. His health started to decline and due to a series of unfortunate events and a hard rockin' lifestyle, Louie passed away February 13th, 2022 from complications related to heart failure at the age of 49. He was buried with his flying V, surrounded by friends, family, and former bandmates. I don't really know how to end an episode like this, especially one that ends on such a somber note like this. So I'll just read this message from Louis' best pal Joe, the same Joe from earlier in our tale. He posted this eulogy online shortly after his passing. He writes, Like Dr. John, Ernie K. Doe, and Professor Longhair, King Louis was more than a local legend or a mere icon. He was an elemental force that only appears once in a lifetime. The earth can barely contain your presence, your personality, your talent. The musical legacy you left behind for us all will resonate forever and always, reverberate throughout the universe. Thank you, King Louis. Long live the king. And I don't think it could be said any better than that. I think this is a good place to leave it. Long live the king indeed. And thank you, Joe. I also got a lot of information from Joe's page, so Joe, please know that, that my thank you is sincere and this all comes from a place of love, so please don't sue me. And Louie, if somehow you can hear me, I hope you're rocking out wherever you're at, and hopefully they got that Pedialyte on tap. Rest easy, buddy, and keep walking with the light.
like we're coming to the end of the record now. I want to thank my producer, Jay. I would also like to thank the Cajun Sushi family. Make sure you keep your heads down in the moisture beds, but come up the air every once in a while. Lewis, we need to have a talk. Ah, uh, looks like I'm in trouble again. So until next time, I'm out of here. concludes another episode of rock and roll history king louis bankson man a true legend gone but certainly not forgotten i mean how could you forget a man with a tail as rich as that this is just the tip of the louis iceberg too now stop listening to this podcast go listen to his music go and remember to rock and roll